Hi, this is Sarah McCaslin with the Forgotten Sheep podcast. And in this podcast, we're going to look at part two of the Salvation Army's invasion of Devil's Island. And when I've presented this before, I called it Occupation and Victory. Now, if you recall, and I admit it's been a while since I've posted a, a podcast, but if you recall, we talked about Devil's Island being a, a penal colony, a prison colony, originally named Cayenne, but dubbed Devil's Island by its inmates. It was a place of evil, of lawlessness, and of hopelessness, a level of which most of us cannot even begin to imagine. It was filled with men who thought they were forgotten, but had not been forgotten by God. Now, the guy that was responsible for going to Devil's Island in the first place and trying to find out what the Salvation Army could do to help these men, his name was Charles Payon, Brigadier Charles Payon. So he was born in 1901, and he first heard of the Salvation Army while he was in Algeria at the age of 11 years old. And then, just after World War One, he was a student at the University of Paris, and that's where he first encountered the work of the Salvation Army. And he loved the motto that they had. Um, and we talked about this last time, a man may be down, but he's never out. That motto struck him deeply. And he decided that these people that were serving the Lord by this motto, they were his people. So he graduated from the University of Paris with a degree in divinity and then offered his services to the Salvation Army and headed to Paris. Now, he was on the road for three days between Paris and the Salvation Army Training College. He arrived there, and they decided, well, they will let this young man stay on for a trial basis for three months. During that time, uh, Charles read a series of newspaper articles about the horrific conditions on Devil's Island. And this temporarily sparked a call for reform among the people of France, but it quickly died down. But it didn't die down for Charles. He read that, he read the conditions, and it touched his heart. Again, something struck him deeply, and he couldn't just let this go. It couldn't be forgotten so easily. These people, these men on this island that were being treated terribly, that were being forgotten by society, that were truly outcasts, and they had no chaplain, they had no chapel, they had no Christian influence on that island, and it broke his heart. Not only their need for God, not only their need to hear the good news of the gospel, but their need for help, their need for someone to come in and take a stand that they were being mistreated, that they needed to be treated differently, that they needed a source of hope, that they needed someone to care. They needed to know they were not forgotten. So he began to do more in-depth research to really get to the facts of the matter behind the penal colony. And the more that he studied, the more a love began to develop in his heart for these men. And many of these men were convicted criminals. Some of them were what you would call um, 
political prisoners. Some of them were repeat offenders of uh, more what we would call minor crimes, things like theft, pickpocketing, uh, forgery. There were among, of course, those on Devil's Island, there were rapists, there were murderers, there were child molesters. But the Lord put in Charles' heart a love and a concern for all of them, something that went beyond what is humanly possible. This was something the Lord put in this young man's heart. And as he got actively involved in the Salvation Army as an officer, he knew and believed, like the Salvation Army did, that even the ones that are the farthest down can be lifted up by the power of God. And he thought if the men and women on the streets of France can be touched by the power of God, isn't it true that the men there on Devil's Island can also be touched and raised up by the power of God? So in our last podcast, we talked about how Charles headed out to Devil's Island in order to kind of do reconnaissance to see what the true conditions were there on the island. He spent three months there, and he said his heart was the most touched by the libraires who had completed their sentence but didn't have any way home. So he had spent three months really studying conditions so he could come back to England and make a recommendation to William Booth on the best way to proceed, what is the most sensible, logical way to proceed in order to help these men on Devil's Island. While he was there, um, he had noticed that the people that seemed to be in the most need of help were the ones that had completed their sentence but they had no way to get back home to France. Basically, if you were sentenced to Devil's Island, you were essentially sentenced to life. Even if it was only a matter of a seven-year sentence or a ten-year sentence, because you couldn't get back home, there was no way realistically to make enough money on the island to buy a ticket to get home. Now, to make matters worse, while these... Men were prisoners. They had food and shelter. But once their prison term was over, they were free men. And then they had no food and no shelter. And one of the sayings on the islands was that when your freedom is gained, your real sentence begins. Most of them were almost starved. They were hopeless. They were broken. And they were in need of desperate help. And that was one of the things that really touched Charles. Now, As I mentioned earlier, on the island, there was no chaplain, there was no priest, there was no minister, there was not even a chapel. And had there been a chapel, in all likelihood the prisoners would not have been allowed to step foot in it. They, in the graveyard for the prisoners, they had a statue of Christ with his back towards where the prisoners were buried. That is so wrong. So wrong. How? This must have grieved the Lord to see this. And what a shock it must have been to have the Salvation Army guys come in and say, The Lord does care about you. The Lord does love you. The Lord does want to help you. And I can prove it to you by helping you out myself. There was little, if any, light in the darkness on that island, but that was about to change. 
God had not forgotten these men, even if the French government had chosen to, and if the French people had forgotten them. The Lord had not forgotten them. And as Charles went and during those three months, and he toured the island, and he spoke to the men, he stood up. I love this. I love how he did this. He stood up to the officials in charge and said, Why? Why is it that 400 French employees can accomplish nothing but the complete moral degradation of 6,000 men? He actually stood up to them. And they, in turn, informed him that no one could turn around the mess that was Devil's Island. In fact, one of the French officials said, Even God can't make a difference here. And Charles' response was, That your excellency remains to be seen. And as we'll see during this podcast, indeed, God did make a difference there. But the Lord, the Lord had given uh, Charles a scripture. He had actually given him a, sec- uh, the, a section of the Bible that dealt with a vision. Um, it's called the Valley of the Dry Bones. And the prophet was taken and the Lord showed him a valley that was just filled with dry bones. And the Lord said to him, can these bones live? And in that vision, those bones began to rise up. And the Bible talks about how sinew began to form and muscle began to form. And they rose up and were an exceeding great army. And how the Lord breathed life into them. And that, that was the scripture that the Lord gave Charles to hold on to as he fought for these men on Devil's Island. As he fought through the grace of God to push back the darkness on that island. Can these dry bones live? If the Lord can breathe life into dried, sun-bleached bones, he can help anybody. And I believe that was kind of part of the message the Lord was giving Charles. There is hope, Charles. There is hope for every single man on this island. The power of God could change could change the hopelessness into hope. The darkness could be pushed away with the light of God. Hatred and hostility and anger could be replaced with love from God. The Lord could grant them the ability to forgive. The Lord had the power to free them from anything that held them in bondage, any kind of addiction, any kind of mental illness that might have caused some of the crimes they committed. There was nobody on that island beyond the reach of God. And I believe that is part of what the Lord was saying there to Charles. So let's talk some more about these conditions on the island. Now, I want to focus a little bit on the issues for the guys that were trying to get their freedom. That their sentence was over. Okay. And... Why I'm doing this, I want you to see how carefully the old Salvation Army approached helping these people. It's one thing to go into a situation, say a disaster situation, and say, I'm going to help you. Here's what I'm going to do for you. And it's another thing to go in and truly study the needs of a situation and find out what people really need, not what we think they need. Because honestly, if we haven't been in that situation, we don't know. But to find out what they really need and to approach this with an attitude of prayer. And so during that three months that Charles spent on the island, he was talking with these people and he was finding out what they really needed. 
And one of the things he found out was that they could possibly work and make enough money to uh, go back to France. But all it took was one bout of illness and all their money would be gone. Can you imagine? In fact, many of you probably can imagine how very frustrating that is when you have something you desperately need and you've been saving up money for it and an illness hits or a car accident hits or your child gets sick. Something like that happens and then you just watch your savings just disappear. That was a common thing for the freemen. And um, they're called, I believe the French pronunciation is libraires, but... I'm from Texas, deep in Texas, and English is my only language, and I am terrible at pronouncing these words. So, to protect your ears and to keep things straight, I'm going to refer to them as the freemen, okay? So, one bout of illness, and the freemen could lose all the money they had saved up, and they would have to start all over again. And if a freeman was unwise in letting someone know that he had saved up some money, there was a good chance he would be murdered for it. And then there was the issue of excitement. There was so little hope on that island that if a prisoner saved up enough money that he might be able to go home, it was likely he would get so excited he would become sick. In one instance, a prisoner got so excited that he had a mental break and ended up going insane. Now, um, those are some of the issues on the island. Now, the Salvation Army, the old Salvation Army, also realized that there would be issues after they got back to France. And it would be very unwise. In fact, it would be downright cruel of them to help these prisoners get back to France and then abandon them. So, they talked to them and found out what some of the issues were when these men would get back to France. Physical problems, their health was usually quite broken and they were weak and they needed time to build up their strength. And it was very hard once the freemen would get back to France, it was very hard for them to find jobs because they were convicts. And not only that, they had come from Devil's Island. And so a lot of people didn't trust them. And trying to find jobs was an absolute nightmare. And that was one of the things that could easily cause them to go back to their old ways of making money. Especially if, say, they were into theft or uh, forgery. Then there were residence requirements that the Salvation Army would have to look at. Um, if a convict returned to his old neighborhood, he was returning to his old friends and old habits and old temptations and old influences and to be able to come out of that without or to, to be able to survive in that environment without falling back into his old ways would be extremely hard the other problem was that they might be going back to a neighborhood where their enemies were and they might be killed Many of these men had not heard from their families in years, and there needed to be some type of an intermediary to help them make contact with their family and find out if it was okay, if their family was okay with them coming home to them. If the freemen arrived back in France during the winter, they would probably freeze to death because they simply didn't have enough clothes to protect them from exposure and they had spent all the money they had on a ticket 
And then these men, as they were granted freedom from Devil's Island, especially after the Salvation Army got there and started helping them get back, they were all warped, uh, damaged in some way by the experiences they had been through on that island, um, by the life they had been forced to live on that island in order to survive. And they would have a difficult time adjusting to a normal world, and they needed help. And that's the kind of in-depth study that Charles went into to try to find out the best way to truly help these people, to truly help these men. And so after his initial stay, he took all these observations back to Salvation Army headquarters for them to come up with a comprehensive plan a first draft of a comprehensive plan to truly help the convicts on Devil's Island. Now, when Charles got back to France, he was extremely sick. In fact, he was so sick with fever that he remained bedridden for 18 months. But as soon as Charles got back on his feet, he began putting together an improved plan for Devil's Island an improved, comprehensive plan to help these men. Now, it would be five years before the Army was given clearance to start their work there. And so, in the meantime, Charles spent much of that time writing, speaking, and meeting with government officials throughout France on behalf of the Salvation Army's plan. And during those five years, uh, Charles got married and had two kiddos. And then in 1933, the green light was given that the Salvation Army could set up on, on Devil's Island. And so Charles headed back to Devil's Island with three other officers. And get this, guys, his wife and ch children would arrive at a later time. Charles actually brought his wife and kids on that island with him. Their first focus would be working to help the freemen and... Uh, Charles said, however, that's what their first focus was. They get on their island the first night, and he found out the first thing they had to do was to overcome various critters that, as he put it, came to visit them at night. There were rats. There were lizards. There were spiders. There were insects. And <laughs> he, had to deal with, uh, he had to deal with that particular problem first. Uh, you know, that's the, the practical realities of being a missionary. I believe it was... It, it was, I believe it was Elizabeth Elliot that said that if you are afraid of creepy crawlies, then being a missionary might not be the thing for you. So, well, um, as the Salvation Army arrives, a group of very young Salvation Army officers joined Charles there, and they lived as the prisoners lived. Can you imagine being so committed to helping a group of people and bringing the gospel to them, that you go to this horrific place, and you live as they live. You eat what they eat. You work alongside them. You keep the hours they keep. You accept whatever pay they get for their work. That's how dedicated these young men were in trying to help them. And there were times when there were scary issues with the convicts. Um... One officer's little girl was kidnapped, but she was returned in moments by some of the freemen that saw the guy that grabbed her. And they said the, it happened so fast, the, the 
evil person grabbing her and the good guys rescuing her that they said that little girl never even knew that she was in danger so it didn't warp her mentally so to speak it didn't affect her psychologically it happened so fast and she was so little she was just like a game to her and so i think it's neat the guys were keeping an eye out for the safety of that little girl but the life with those convicts as they started the real work it was hard um another officer had his jaw broken by an angry prisoner when it came time to get paid for the week um one of the one of the cooks that the salvation army hired from among the prisoners was in the kitchen and all this if now if i'm recalling the story correctly they turned around and he had disappeared into thin air and they're like where did he go he was here just a second ago it turned out there was a giant ant colony underneath where the kitchen was and it had been uh, weakened and he fell right in there and they were able to pull him out but they said he was there one moment the next moment he was gone those kind of things are scary that goes uh those types of incidents often go along from what i understand with with missionary work now, the governor, government officials on the island were not happy to see the Salvation Army, but the prisoners were. If nothing else, it was a sign to them that they aren't forgotten and somebody cares. Okay, Charles managed to talk the officials into allowing them to use an abandoned building. And then he recruited workers from among the free men to renovate the building. And then once it was renovated, those freemen they hired acted as cooks and helpers for the new dining room and dormitories they set up. And some of them were so excited by their new job, they got sick. They fell ill, which again is a, a common thing that happened there. Now, here's a cool thing. The sign for the building, for the Salvation Army building, was painted by a former artist from the famed Left Bank of Paris. A professional artist painted their sign, and he was a prisoner there on the island. And that became officially uh, the Salvation Army's headquarters on Devil's Island. Now, the grand opening of this dormitory faced a very rough start. Charles had planned to serve a free meal to all comers. Anybody who wanted to come could come, and they would get a free meal. But when it was time to eat, he couldn't find any of the cooks or waiters, and there was no food fixed. Couldn't find any of them. It turned out they had found, and quote, unquote, found some wine and gone on a spree. Uh, but not to be deterred, the little group of four Salvation Army officers, including Charles, cooked up and served the 2,000 guests that showed up. Now, sadly, that night, some of the guests stole the cutlery. Um, some of them stole workshop tools, most of the provisions, and even the cords from the flagstaff. However, the Salvation Army officers, uh, being uh, good old-fashioned Christians, they didn't get mad about it. They didn't get upset. They just kept pushing forward. Well, it took them two months to replace what was stolen and get the restaurant going again. And that kind of a delay had to be very frustrating for them. Here they were trying to reach out and help people. And they were thanked by having things stolen 
by the guys they had hired to work for them, going off and going on a bender. And uh, um, I mentioned the officer getting his jaw broken and the other one that had his little girl almost kidnapped. And you would say, well, they don't want their help. They're being rude. They need to appreciate what the Salvation Army is doing for them. Well, in an ideal situation, yeah, but we don't always work in ideal situations. And if we think about this metaphorically, uh, I have some friends that work in animal rescue. If you have a dog, and I'm not trying to compare people to dogs, that's not what I'm doing. I'm using it as a metaphor. Just think along with me. If you have this dog that has been abused, it's been neglected, it has been kicked, it's been yelled at, if you go over to that dog and you try to pet it, there's a good chance you're going to get bit. It's not because that dog hates you. It's not because that dog just wants to hurt you. It is a reaction because of how that dog has been forced to live, what it has endured, what it has experienced. And when we're trying to help people, we don't always know their background. We don't always know what they've experienced. And sometimes they will do things that on the surface look very ugly and mean and malicious, but it was like a knee-jerk reaction because of what they've been through. And as Christians, we have to pray for the Lord to give us discernment, for the Lord to help us see when somebody is just reacting and when somebody truly, truly does not want our help, we need the Lord's discernment to help us with that. And we need to pray for the Lord to show us and for the Lord to give us the love and compassion that we need to persevere in spite of mistreatment, to persevere in spite of having seemingly our help thrown back in our face. And that is one of the key words here for what the Salvation Army did on Dell's Island. They persevered. So after they were able to replace what was stolen, they started up the restaurant. Then they opened up a second home for the freemen so that they could have shelter and safety. Okay, shelter and safety. And they started up a jungle farm for raising vegetables and meat for the restaurant and the cafeteria. And all of these things are opening up job opportunities for these free men to be able to earn money to go back home. They set up carpenter shops. And a lot of these guys already had these skills that they had learned when they were younger. So these different Things that they had going, the carpenter shop, the cafeteria, the restaurant, the jungle farm. It served, served a threefold purpose. An opportunity for men to work. A place to build furniture needed for the shelters in the homes. And to create other objects for sale abroad. To supply... Uh, more work for the men and to generate a profit for the homes um, Charles and six of the freemen cleared out enough land to start a banana plantation his goal which was met was to provide work for every man who wanted to earn his keep every man that wanted to earn money and earn his keep would have a job and the Lord made a way that that was possible now the hostels that they built uh, for the prisoners. They served several purposes. One was to pro provide protection from the elements for the freemen, and this also would help with their overall health. 
Another was to provide them protection from those that would harm them. You know, we had talked about the guys would save up enough money to go home only to have it stolen or be murdered for it. Yet another purpose of the hostels was to provide them from protection of criminal elements that were, would lead them astray. And these hostels provided entertainment, games, and work for the free men. And it helped them on the road to rehabilitation. They were living in a building not unlike what they would be living in in France, no longer in a lean-to shelter out in the jungle. They were having to get along with other men. They were having to get along and work with other men. And this was all very good for the rehabilitation and also the jobs and the job training they received. And during all of this time, they were exposed to the gospel. Now, the Salvation Army, as it worked on Devil's Island, made it a rule that they would not force religion on anybody. But they did make regular meetings available. And if you worked for the Salvation Army, you were expected to attend, but you did not have to participate. And slowly, slowly, the Salvation Army began to see bona fide converts from among these men that were considered wicked, wicked outcasts. They began to see converts. They began to see these men turn their lives over to Jesus Christ. Now, as I mentioned earlier, not everyone was glad to see the Salvation Army arrive on Devil's Island. There was plenty of corruption on the island, including corruption, of course, among government officials, and they were hostile to the Salvation Army officers. Um, and corruption among the prisoners, too, the officers received death threats contingent on their leaving the island. There were traps set to discredit them. And they were even physically attacked at night with one of Charles' assistants suffering a broken jaw and a broken arm. And the guards and the government representatives did little to nothing. And some of them were even in cahoots with the guys that were attacking the Salvation Army officers because they wanted to get them off the island. However, uh, they were not able to succeed in chasing the Salvation Army off the island. They were there on a mission from the Lord. Now, as they stayed on the island, they discovered that trust was key in the progress of the work. And it wasn't so much the prisoners trusting the officers, but the officers being willing to place trust in the prisoners. Um, and here's some examples of what I mean by that. They put a former embezzler in charge of accounts, and he did an outstanding job. Only the Lord, only the Lord would put an embezzler in charge of accounts. Well, one night, one of the night watchmen was a former thief who had been born again. One of the shelter cooks was serving time for poisoning his wife. And the man who guarded Charles's home when he was away, when it was just Charles' wife and kids there, that man was a former rapist and murderer. But he fiercely protected Charles' family and wouldn't have dreamed of harming a hair of their heads. And this kind of trust, as they were led by the Lord, proved to be well-placed. 
the men lived up to the trust that had been placed in them. I think that's wonderful. And I think it's wonderful when we look back at our own lives and we see the sins we've committed and the mistakes that we've made, and yet the Lord still trusts us. And what a responsibility we have to live up to the trust that the Lord places in us and the trust that others place in us. As Christians, we are responsible for how others see us and how others... um, Well, our lives have an effect on far more than just us, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And the trust that the Lord puts in us certainly should encourage us to live up to that trust. So they began to really make some good progress here in on Devil's Island. Services were held in the jungle camps and the blockhouses for the free men. They were careful not to force religion on anybody, and they slowly made converts. Now, when a man got saved, Charles would give him a colored ribbon to wear as a visual reminder of the new life that he had started. And with time, the different enterprises that the Salvation Army started on the island, the restaurant, the uh, the cafeteria, the jungle farm, the banana plantation, they became financially solvent. And then Charles was writing books that were being sold in France, and that money, along with the sales of convict-made items, provided much of the funding that was needed to help the liber- uh, the freemen start going home. And then keep in mind the Salvation Army back in France at the same time was setting up a net a support network to help these men as they got home. The Salvation Army officers would meet them at the ship. When they got off the ship, they would make sure they had clothes to keep them warm. They had a halfway house set up for these guys to begin their adjustment to French society, to be back among the uh, people of France. They helped them get in contact with their families. The Salvation Army helped them find work and helped them find a place to live if it was not a good idea for them to go back where they had lived before. So we have a battle, so to speak, going on on two fronts. We have the front lines here at Devil's Island where they're beginning to make progress. They're getting the money ready to send these men home. And then back in France, they're getting everything ready to receive these men and help them make a smooth and seamless transition back into society. So, keep in mind, uh, Charles had carefully formulated this plan, not only to help the men get home, but help them lead lives that would contribute to society once they got home. Okay, so let's talk about this plan that Charles put together to help these guys. He called it the New Dublich. Okay. And as I mentioned, he realized that sending these men back to France the way they were would accomplish little. They needed their strength of character restored, and they needed to recover from what they had suffered. And the few men that had ever made it back to France had returned rather quickly to their former ways. So, the way that they had it set up on the island, a freeman who went to work would receive lodging, means in two francs a day 
and at the end of the month, he would receive a coupon worth 40 francs. He could exchange it for money, but if he saved 20 coupons, he would get a ticket back to France. And upon returning, then the Salvation Army would meet him at the docks to sponsor his new life in France. So less than two years after this plan was initiated, the first group of freemen are ready to sail for home. And as they left, Charles sailed with them, and he reminded them that their behavior would affect the future of the colony and the men they were leaving behind. When they arrived in France, the reporters met them at the docks, and then the next day on the, on the front page of the newspaper, it says that there's going to be a crime wave due to Peon's pariahs. Well, there was no crime wave, no crime wave at all. The men that returned had been successfully rehabilitated by God's power, both socially and spiritually. At the end of 1939, that would be six years after they started actually full-time working on the island, 800 and cut, let me start this over again, 804 convicts had been returned within six years, and only three of 804 ever got in trouble with the police. Now that is what I would call a successful rehabilitation program. The success of this program caused Charles to be esteemed an expert on the subject of rehabilitation and opened a door for him to return to France to further their cause on Devil's Island. Now, where did they get the money to send these guys back to France? You know, they were paying them, and then they would give them a coupon. They would save up the coupons. So how did they pay for them to get back to France? How did they pay for them to have clothes? How did they... How did they do all of this? Well, a lot of it came from them funding the enterprise this enterprise themselves. There were um, fishermen, I would say very brave fishermen, that would harvest shark meat from the surrounding seas. Uh, there was a farm commenced that it became self-sufficient and provided food for the cafeteria and the restaurant, which then could make money. There was the hostel that was open on the mainland for prisoners who had finished their sentences. Um, the restaurant and workshop were bringing in money and allowing the men to learn skills. Then they started another farm with 20 ex-convicts. And they kept pigs. And this is really interesting. One of the ways that the guys started making really good money was collecting insects, especially butterflies. They would collect the insects, preserve them, and then ship them back to England. And there were collectors that were just really interested in these insects, especially the butterflies. And then woodworking. Many of these uh, men were very skilled in woodworking. We mentioned the guy that was an artist from the famed left bank of France. Um, these guys would st uh, sell the things that they had made. They would be sold and ex they would be exported to Europe and America. And so that's where part of the uh, funding for this came from. Now Charles began to divide his time between France and Devil's Island. And when it was uh, the French government decided it was time to liquidate the island, Charles was the only non-government individual on the committee. And then in 1938, and this was a huge accomplishment for them, President de Gaulle of France made it a law forbidding the sentencing of any more men to Devil's Island 
That was a huge accomplishment. They were putting a stop to this practice. Convicts in residence on the island would stay until their sentence was served, but no new prisoners would be sent. No new prisoners would be sent to that hellhole. World War II interrupted Charles's work and trapped him in wartime France. But behind the scenes, de Gaulle was putting Charles' ideas into action there. And so in 1947, nine years after they said we'll send no prisoners, in 1947, de Gaulle made a decree that Devil's Island would be liquidated, that all prisoners on that island would be removed. And Charles, I love this, Charles was chosen to supervise the process by unanimous choice of those involved. And so he returned to the island. The convicts were delighted to see him. He was greeted as returning hero. And so the Lord not only helped the guys on the island, he put, the Lord made a way that a stop was put to sending more guys there. And then everyone left the island. Now there was a, some prisoners that were too sick, too ill to leave the island. And there were Salvation Army officers that stayed behind with them and cared for them until they passed. Well, when Charles returned to the island to commence getting everybody off of that place a special ceremony was held for him and when asked to speak all charles could manage to say through the tears was how fitting that this should be held on easter sunday and the lord had indeed spoken to the valley of dry bones and it had come back to life i love the story i love how the Lord put this compassion and empathy in these Salvation Army officers' hearts and how the Lord made a way for them to make a huge difference. And I know that uh, the term social justice is thrown around a lot. This is Christian social justice. This is what this is the standard for Christian social justice. They went in there and they didn't say, we're going to help you in a holier-than-thou way, but they went in there with the attitude of, what do you really need for us to help you? And then they methodically and with prayer put it together and they were able to make a huge difference in these men's lives. Families were reunited, hope was given, and most importantly, most importantly, people were born again. And another reason why social work is an important part of the church is that social work is a way to take the teachings that the Bible has about love and concern and care and make it real to take it out of the Bible, to take the words and make those words come to life in someone's life and to show that Christianity isn't just a set of doctrines. Being a Christian isn't just a set of rules that we follow, but it's a life we live. The Bible, the Word of God is a living thing, and it lives and it breathes in the hearts and lives of true Christians. And when we approach things with that attitude, we can make a tremendous difference. Well, Charles was made an officer of the Legion of Honor, the highest recognition 
that France gives. And I think it's interesting that in all my searching about this on the internet, I only was able to find one tiny picture of Charles with some others. He did not seek fame for himself. He did not seek recognition. He saw, I think what you would probably say is that he sought the Lord. And he did this because it was something that the Lord put in his heart. And I love the story of the work that the Lord did there on Devil's Island. And I hope that it encourages whoever is listening. And that it makes you realize there's hope for everybody. And that it's up to us to show the world that the Bible is true by letting it live and breathe in our lives. Thank you for listening.